I'm going to start by asking you a question. For those of you who are parents, uh, what was, I just wanted to say, you see this bird right here? <laughs> this bird, we can't get him out of the auditorium. So we have two choices. We can welcome him or all of you right now, stretch out your hands and let's pray that he dies right on the stage. Can we do that? No, no, come on. Come on. Oh, trust me. I'm going to pray. Where is he? Did he go? Okay. All right. So we're just going to let him go, even if you see him. Uh, anyway, so here we go. So um, I want to start by asking you a question. For those of you um, who are parents, what is the best and the worst parenting decision you've ever made? Best and worst parenting decision you've ever made. Let me go ahead and share mine. Mine was uh, in 2010. Uh, Lisa started a master's program at Cabrini, then went on to a doctorate program on Thursday nights. And so, gosh, that's been, what, seven, eight years now. You, you have Thursday nights. And so in 2010, since I was given the gift of boiling water, that's all I could cook, Thursday night became Domino's Pizza Night. We're like, we're getting Domino's. And all the girls were like, yeah, let's do it, $3. And, and so that was the worst decision. Uh, the best decision was we stumbled upon a reality show on Thursday nights that we would watch together. And it was a reality show called The Buried Life. Um, uh, for those of you who are 30 and over, you have never seen this show. For your 30 and younger, you probably remember this show. The show was simply about four guys who were stuck in life. And so they got together and they made a list of 100 things that they all wanted to do before they died as a way of simply getting, their, getting themselves unstuck. And what they said was, why don't we start doing these now? So what they did is they, they bought this old dilapidated bus and they went around the country trying to scratch off these 100 things they wanted to do before they die. And they promoted it on social media, and then MTV caught wind of this, turned it into a reality show, and it became a pretty big deal for a few seasons. What I loved about the show is that they went and they did crazy things that they wanted to do, but when they were... <laughs> Maybe that's on your bucket list. You want to have a bird land in your hair on church. Um, when they were doing that, they always helped someone else scratch something off of their bucket list. And so it was a very emotional show at times. They would do something, and then they would help someone do something. Uh, there was a guy, for instance, that uh, uh, rode horses as a kid, and as an older adult, he became blind. So they took him horseback riding, which sounds kind of crazy, but uh, they took him horseback riding. It was very emotional watching him just fall up in tears, you know, rediscovering something he used to do with, his kid, with a kid. And there were so many family situations. It was, it was a wonderful thing. What They named the show The Buried Life after that poem by Matthew Arnold, 19th century British poet. The poem called The Buried Life, part of it says, but often in the world's most crowded streets, often in the den of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life. A thirst to spend our fire and restless force and tracking our true original course. A longing to inquire into the mystery of this heart which beats so wild and deep in us to know whence our lives come and where they go. And so every Thursday while Lisa was working on her master's and then doctorate degree, it was Domino's Pizza Night and we watched The Buried Life. A few of my favorite episodes. One of my favorite episodes was number 95 on their list. 
play ball with Obama. And so they went to the White House and challenged Obama uh, to a game of horse. And turns out he's a mediocre basketball player. Um, and they smoked him on the basketball court. Number 59 was ask out the girl of your dreams. And so one of them asked Taylor Swift out on a date. Just sort of surprised her, went up in a, in a crowd and asked her out on a date. But by far, the absolute funniest episode was when they scratched off number 50, go streaking and get away with it, take a look. Oh, I would not have wanted to have been the guy that tackled him. I can imagine some of your car rides on the way home. So kids, what did you learn in church today? What did you learn in church today? Now, listen, so um, obviously I'm not advocating that you go streaking in order to find your buried life. I'm not advocating, in fact, that you make a bucket list at all. In fact, I have a theory about bucket lists. Um, What makes for great television never actually makes for a great life, because whenever you're doing it to be seen by other people, it changes you. It's not authentic, which which is part of the problem with social media. It's such a great tool to connect with people. But it's as if a lot of people have their nonstop reality show. Every minute of their life, they're putting every aspect of their life. And it's not your real life whenever you're projecting it for someone else. Now, you're not going to find, we're not going to find that thing that is going to make us come fully alive by jotting down a list of our wants and wishes and going after them. And there's nothing wrong with accomplishing stuff and doing bold stuff and making the most of life. But the cast will tell you nine years later, making that list does not make you complete. Because somewhere deep inside our real life, the thing that we yearn for, the thing that we know is missing because we feel its absence deep inside, all of us know that our buried life is not something that we create. It's something we're invited to. And so for the past few weeks, we as a church I've been going through the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to finish up today with the last part of that story. So let me just go ahead and continue reading in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Now what has happened? Jesus was already born. He moved to a city called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and then that's when he started his ministry. So this is the very first thing that he did. From that time on, he went up to people and said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And so Matthew records a couple guys, the very first people he walked up to, a guy named Peter and Andrew. So Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus walked up to them and said, listen, I want you to come and follow me. I will help you fish for people. And so once they left their nets and they followed him, And now we come to the story that we've been saving for today. It's no coincidence that we're saving this story to coincide with the week that follows kids camp because we know a number of people here this morning will have children or be connected to children in some way and raising them. Going a little further, it says in verse 21, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them and immediately They left the boat, and then I want you to notice the next three words. They left their boat and their father, and they followed him. I want you to notice a couple really important things about this story 
that's going to be really, really impactful for your personal life, where you're living right now. The first is that Jesus offered James and John the possibility of living in the kingdom. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. I don't know how many of you have been around church world that long, you grew up in church or you visited churches, more than likely you've heard the word gospel, the gospel. If you're a Christian, more than likely you have said you have shared the gospel or someone has preached the gospel. What is the gospel? Okay? The good news, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, those two words, good news, comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which meant the gospel, the good news. It's the good announcement. When the Apostle Paul, those of you who are Christians, you've heard this verse before, when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. It's the same thing Jesus is referring to. I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now that said, I need to issue an apology on behalf of me, our church, and more than likely every single church you've ever visited. Whenever you've heard someone say they're going to share the gospel or they're going to share the good news of Jesus, you've only heard a small part of the story. And so I believe it has robbed people of something very important. Now, when Christians talk about the gospel in the 21st century, what the gospel means is it's the announcement of the bare minimum entrance requirements in order to get to heaven and not go to hell, right? It is someone will come up to you and are you a Christian? Oh, you're not a Christian. Let me talk to you about Jesus being your Lord and Savior and how you know you can go to heaven when you die. All of those really, really good things. Today, the gospel is sort of like calculus in high school that some of you took. You got senioritis, your senior year, you're in your calc class, and you calculated what you needed on that test to pass that course, right? You're like, I need an 82 to pass that course because, let's be honest, you didn't study very hard your senior year. So you're like, you go in, you're like, I know I get an 82, and once I get an 82, I swear to you, I am never going to use calculus again the rest of my life. And unless you're an engineer, you didn't use calculus the rest of your life. You thought it was just something that was important to get done in order to graduate. But you knew in terms of your real life, what you were very interested in, what was going on in your real world, it had no bearing whatsoever. It was simply the bare minimum entrance requirements to walking across the stage and getting your degree. Now, there are a lot of you that when you were kids, you went through confirmation. And you knew that it was important for go to, to go to confirmation. Why? Because if you didn't, what would happen? I wasn't taught this, but what you believed was, I needed to hurry up and get this done, because if I don't check this box, bad things are going to happen. And so I need to hurry up and finish this. Some of you grew up in churches where you... Um, were baptized. You didn't really have any idea what was going on, but you knew you needed to check that box. Some of you started going to church. You wanted to check that box. We all do these things where we want to check 
the box. And what we need to realize is that when Jesus is talking about the gospel, please hang with me on this. Jesus is not talking. He doesn't envision at all what we have turned the gospel into in the 21st century. When Jesus is talking about the gospel of the kingdom, it is not about getting into heaven after we die. Though that's part of it. It is certainly part of it. The gospel of the kingdom is about getting the, the heaven kind of life into us and around us before we die. Jesus came and died on the cross so you could enter into heaven now. Right now. In your life. In what's going on. That God could take over control. I swear I'm going to kill that bird. Here we are. <laughs> All right, all right, so, so there's a reason. Come on, help me out, you Catholics, you former Catholics. You all know the Our Father, right? Let's say it out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Stop right there. What does that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done. A lot of you have said that your whole entire life, and you, have, you don't know what that means. Don't beat yourself up. A lot of us have said that prayer, and we don't know what it means. The kingdom is where God rules. And when you basically come into the kingdom, you come into God's rule, and you begin to do things the way God would if he was in charge. If God came and took control of your family, what would he do? Took control of your marriage, what would he do? If God came and went into your workplace and said, okay, we're going to start doing things my way around here, how would people be treated? If God came and took over you, if he said, okay, now we're going to start doing life a little bit differently, I'm going to teach you how to do this, what changes do you think he would make in your personal life? Um, to help us understand what this kingdom is, um, Lisa and I are going to be going um, at some point here in the fall, uh, we're going to Egypt and Israel. And uh, Idrit, um, we have uh, been uh, in conversation probably about seven years now with an organization that plants churches in the Middle East. And so we're gonna, we've been working uh, for a window that's safe enough to where we can actually go. Now, I have a strategy. I've been in many, many dangerous places around the world. I have a strategy of how to keep safe. In fact, it's twofold. Do you want to know what it is? The first strategy of how to keep safe in a dangerous world, these guns right here. These guns. I'm sorry. I know it's church, and I don't want to start flexing around here, and like people start swooning and stuff. But, but, that, but that's it. But the second thing is, what I always do is I always get a hotel that is near uh, the United States Embassy. All right, now, why would I do that? It's common sense, right? Why would I do that? Because if trouble comes up, we could go to the embassy. Now, I want you to notice a few things about the embassy. Number one, when you're looking at these walls right here, on the other side of the wall, when you go into the grounds of the embassy, are you in Egypt or are you in the United States? You're in the United States. It just happens to be in Egypt, right? Well, how is that possible? You have one sovereign nation, and inside of that, there is another sovereign nation soil, right? where they have immunity from these laws because we are governed by a different set of laws. Outside of these walls, 
Do people in Egypt treat people differently? Do they have the same human rights? It's a different nation. Inside the walls, it's fundamentally different. We're safe. We have a common set of bill of rights and values and laws of how we treat and we interact with one another. It's the same thing when you enter in the kingdom of God and just your life, you are like an embassy where God's kingdom, no, you're not in heaven yet where God is, but now heaven now comes to earth and takes up residence just in your life. And then when someone else becomes a follower and they walk into the kingdom, then two of you are now in and under God's rule. And so God comes along and says, you know what, now that you're under my rule, we're going to start doing things my way. And you're going to find that when that happens, the, the goods that you've been sold by this culture about how great this world can be is nothing compared to what happens when I take over this place. Paul says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is three things. It's righteousness. In other words, it's right living. It's the right way that we are going to have a basis for how we're going to interact with one another. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount about being angry with one another and reconciling, God comes in and he says, listen, when I take over this place, we're not going to just fly off a handle anymore. We're going to constructively resolve differences. Lusting. We're not going to lust anymore. In fact, we're going to cut it off at the source. Because what we don't want to do is we don't want to objectify women or men that are created in the image of God. We're going to be thankful for their beauty or their handsomeness. But we're not going to use them for our own personal benefit. Because why? Because God's in charge. Righteousness. We have a right way of living between God and between one another. And it goes on and on and on. But it's righteousness, if you can put that verse back up here, peace and joy. Now, this word peace, you have to understand that Paul is a Jew. And he is hearkening back to a Hebrew word, shalom. You ever talk to someone that's Jewish? I'll talk to someone that's Jewish because I took Hebrew. I'll say shalom, and they'll start talking to me in Hebrew. I'm like, bro, that's all I remember from grad school. (laughs) Shalom is a Hebrew word that, yes, meant peace but it was the Hebrew word for wholeness. My guess is there might be some people here this morning that want to be whole, that want to be at peace. And maybe you're in a relationship and you want wholeness in that relationship. Maybe there's someone in your family and you want them to be whole again. When that person is willing to walk into the kingdom because the availability is made through Jesus to come into the kingdom, they can learn how to be whole again. Listen to this. Every single thing that happened in Jesus' ministry, he wants it to happen in your life. That's where the kingdom of God is. Jesus was the first person ushering in the kingdom. He wants you to walk through him as the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you walk into that... Every single thing that you see him doing in the Gospels, he wants to do in your life. Now, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it brings salvation, the word salvation, yes, in part means from hell so you can go to heaven, 
but the Greek word sozo means to be being saved. We are saved, yes, at one point to go to heaven, but we are also in the process now of being saved. How many of you are very, very thankful that when you walk into the kingdom, you were, God is never going to just wash his hands from you, that you keep making mistakes, but he's going to keep bringing you along and continue saving you, making you whole. There are a lot of people here this room, in this room where there are Christians that have been telling you that you need to get saved. And you're rightly saying, listen, bro, I think that's all great, but that's probably not going to happen for maybe 40, 50, 60 years. I need saved right now. I need to be saved. My marriage needs to be saved. My family needs to be saved right now. So here's the thing. How do you walk into the kingdom? Jesus said you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's available, but you have to repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance is an old English word. What Jesus meant was you need to break any allegiance with anything that stands in the way of entering God's kingdom, including your family. There are some people here that if I asked you, what's on your bucket list? You'd be like, I don't have a bucket list. And I'll be like, okay, fine. But what would be on the list if you were to make a bucket list? What are you trying to do in your life? Undoubtedly, virtually everyone that is here would say that I want to be the best mom I can be. I want to be the best dad I can be, the best son or the best daughter or the best parents, the best aunt, whatever it is. And you need to understand, as great as that is, and God wants to make you great at that, Jesus has to become before that in order for you to get into the kingdom. Nothing can come before Jesus in order to get into the kingdom. That's why he said, and they left their boat and their father. Now, then we're like, bro, so we're following this Jesus guy. We'll probably maybe never see you again, so see ya, right? They weren't just saying that at all. They probably just went and moved right down the street. He was just simply saying, Zebedee had a vision for how his son's lives were going to turn out. The vision was they're going to work together. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 I have another vision for their lives. And so James and John go and then they follow Jesus. And some of you are allowing family members and friends to come in between the vision that God has for your life and where you are right now. In the early years, we had one of our neighbors come to our church and uh, she said, I want to get baptized, but I want to ask you if it's okay to ask my mom for permission to get baptized. I'm like, no, seriously, you are. Like, no, you're serious. She's like, no, actually, oh, I'm serious. Some of you who grew up in Catholic homes, you know exactly what she's talking about because you came in this morning and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. I literally, just for going to this church, this is a cult. My grandmother is rolling over in her grave right now. What in the world? He's wearing shorts. They're playing this rock and roll music. What is this thing? But you sense, maybe for the first time in your life, Jesus inviting you to walk through him like he's a door into the kingdom, and you want that. But in the back of your mind, you're like, man, if I do that, I just, I just don't know what my fill in the blank. 
what they would do. Um, I have a bucket list. It's just informal. In fact, I only have one thing on my bucket list. Can you, do you have the picture? Can you show the bucket list? Um, I want to I get a golden retriever. That is on, that's it. If I can get a bucket list, Jesus is taking me home, I'm, I'm dying. So um, the only thing that stands in the way of getting that golden retriever is <laughs> sitting over there. Person doesn't want to obey Jesus. So you tell me if I'm going to hell or not. So I, um, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, I took Lisa's phone, and um, so you have to tell me if I'm going to hell or not. I took her phone, and I went into the bathroom, and I sat on the toilet. Sorry for that image there, but I, so I go and I sit on the toilet, and I open up her Instagram account, and I follow every single golden retriever account. Remember that? You were like, why do all these golden retriever accounts come on? They're coming up on my phone, and I'm like, I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? It's just weird. Maybe it's God. I don't know. I don't know. At the top of your list, no doubt, is you want to love your family. You want to be a great mom. You want to be the best dad you can be. You want to throw yourself into loving your family. You have dreams for work. You have all of these things that you want to do. And what Jesus needs to say is all of those are important. And dude, if you just give me your life and walk into the kingdom, you have no idea what's possible in the kingdom. Right now, you're just doing it all on your own strength. But you need to know, all of that's coming. All of those dreams, all of those desires, all come in second place. Listen, we're going to do something today uh, that we do periodically in our church. We're going to have a baptism service, okay? Now, for those of you who grew up in other churches when you were kids, you were like, we never had baptism services in our church. What, is, what does this mean? Because you were baptized as a baby. And, you know, your, you know, godparents came and family members and friends came. And what they did is, you know, there was the priest and the poured water over you. And it was a very meaningful, important thing. And I don't want, listen to me, I don't want you to ever, ever speak negatively about that. That was a gift your family gave you. They were doing the best that they absolutely could. In the New Testament, however, When the Bible talks about baptism, it uses the Greek word baptizo, which meant to dunk underwater. Literally dunk underwater. And you wouldn't do that to a baby, would you? And that's like, ooh, you know. You would do that to older children and adults that are ready to walk into the kingdom. Because Jesus is saying, if if I'm going to become the door and you're going to walk into the kingdom, you have to die first. You have to die in order to get into the kingdom. And so one day he was thinking of this image, what can I do? The Jordan River. And he started putting people, baptizo, dunking them in water like it was a tomb and then lifting them up so that they can now walk into the kingdom, into a brand new life where God is ruling and that there's a family And that Jesus is there to teach them how to love and to learn and to grow and to forgive and to help others get into this kingdom. And so we're going to do that today. Now, there are two groups of people here. There are those who 
already in the kingdom and you've done that before. And then there are people that are on the outside who were like, I want to be a part of that, but I just don't know. This is foreign to me. So I just want to say, what I'm going to do is we're going to open up that door here just in a second, and um, we're going to baptize people. I'm going to go in there. We're going to baptize people. And so we have shorts and T-shirts and towels and that sort of thing. And so if you're ready to do that, I would like to invite you to come over. And Stephanie, if you can wave to everyone as I'm mentioning your name, there we are. You just introduce yourself, and she'll take you back to the changing rooms. And we'll go in the water together, and I will ask you a few questions, and then I'll go ahead and we'll baptize you. Undoubtedly, there are people here All instruments and mics are muted. who want to walk into the kingdom. But in the back of your mind, you have all of these questions. You have all these hang-ups. In fact, a lot of you have anger. In five seconds. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, all these things are valid. But you're an atheist. Okay, great. Jesus is saying, listen, if I went through what you went through, I'd Instant probably be an alive. atheist too. You need to come into the kingdom. All you have to do is just believe in me. Just follow me. Walk through. Repent of your sins. Ask for me to come into your life. And I will give you a new heart. I'll give you new relationships. I'll give you a new family. Yeah, you get to go to heaven. But the good stuff is what happens 10 minutes after you get baptized, Jesus said. And so the reason that people left their nets and left their fathers and started following him was not because of the threat of going to hell. It was like this is the best vision for life we have ever heard. We would have to be fools not to want to do this. And so I just want to throw out this opportunity now. Whoever's going to come, just come. So I'm going to walk over there. We'll change. The band's going to sing a few songs while we're doing this. If you're not ready, listen, by all means, just kind of sit and watch. But if you're ready and you don't have a good reason why you shouldn't be doing this, then you can join me over there right now. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.